On this episode of The Bear and the Bull, I'll ask some questions. Have you ever wanted to be a top coach? Well, I've got someone who may just be able to answer that question. How do coaching licenses work? I know it can be very confusing. Coaching education in Cal South, it is the best in the country. And what about you young players who would love to be on the Olympic Development Program? Do you know what it takes to become a national champion? Luckily for you, I do, having won the national championship in 2015 with the boys 98. And finally, what makes Liverpool FC the world's greatest club? Not in my opinion, mind. All this and more on The Bear and the Ball. Welcome to the latest episode of The Bear and the Ball. I am your host, Nick Webster, the Vice President of Adults on the Cal South Board. As you all know, I am a complete and utter soccer nutjob. Currently the assistant coach of the UCSB women's team, and we're doing pretty well, actually. Got a big game against uh, Bakersfield tonight. If we win that, we will go into second place in the Big West Conference. So very excited about what the ladies are doing up in Santa Barbara. And of course, England and the USA, both playing World Cup qualifiers. I have been glued to the TV as both these teams look to make it to the World Cup in Qatar next year. And finally, our special guest today. He is a man with a resume as long as my arm. He's been with Cal South for... I don't know. Seems like a thousand years. The great, the fabulous, the one and only Steve Hoffman. Let me tell you about some of his coaching stats and achievements. He's been the Western State Conference champion with the Ventura Ladies more times than I've had hot dinners. I've forgotten how many times he's won this title. It's something, it's going in the region of, I think, 20 times maybe. He's been the Ventura County College Team of the Year Award Oh, many, many times. The National Soccer Coaches of America, All-America team. This is Ventura. And Steve has been the guest clinician for the LA Foundation. Uh, that's, in fact, where we met many, many years ago. He's won 11 Western State Conference Most Valuable Player Awards, uh, 16 NSCAA Adidas All-Americans. Steve is responsible for something like 100,000 youth players and 30,000 coaches in the Cal South community. Steve Hoffman, the biggest Liverpool fan you'll ever meet. Welcome to the Bear and the Ball. How are you, son? I'm doing great. It's great to be with you, as always, and talk some footy. Oh, you know it. We, you know, both, both Steve and I, I mean, full disclaimer here, we are complete football animals and could talk about it 24-7 for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Yep, that's it. That's it. We, we, uh, you're, it's born into you. And you know, the nice thing, the exciting thing is we're soccer junkies and we have a lot more in this country now. When we first came, both of us, we were in the minority and people thought we were nuts. And now there's a lot of nuts people that are fanatics. So it's great. Oh, you know it. Yeah. So Steve, you know, you, you've come from Southport, England. You've, you've landed up in Ventura. Tell me, what kind of a culture shock was that from Southport to Ventura? Well, let me tell you something. When we first came here, uh, it was before the, the 84 Olympics. So now, you know, I'm from Liverpool, Southport, Liverpool, been to both those places. 
And I landed at LAX and there was no LAX. It had been demolished. It was like a slum. So I thought to myself, oh my God, I've come from Liverpool to a slum in, in the United States, right? So I was like totally in shock because they were doing the rebuild. And then we go and my family said, we're going to live in Ojai. I love Ojai, but it's got no people. It's very small. So we ended up settling in Ventura, which is in a, very similar to Southport, as you know, seaside resort, uh, great people. A great place to bring your family up. So, you know, we ended up we ended up there because uh, it was uh, it was it was interesting. My first day in McDonald's, I went to McDonald's. My very first day, with my children they couldn't understand me because I spoke too fast, right? And Sean Roach, who actually you know, Sean is a, an instructor for us. Sean was behind me in the line, and of course, Sean translated. And from that day forward, we've been like you know, people call me Sean, they call him Steve. And we get used to it now. So they you know, it's been great. Well, talk, talk to me about your 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 progression, your, your journey in soccer to begin right. with when you first arrived. Yeah, it, it, it's quite an incredible journey, Nick. It, it goes to show you that, and we both know this, when you come to this country, you, any, you can do anything you want to do. So I came to the United States, the job I had fell through. Uh, so I, now I've got no job, right? So now I'm looking for a job. So I, I was a butcher in England. And when I played for Southport and that, I was on a day release. I went and become a butcher. Good move, right? Because it paid more than being some other jobs. So I, I got a job at a health food store. I always remember my interview when I went in the health food store. I said, you know, the guy said, man, you got a cool accent. So I'm like, okay, that's good. You know what I mean, I suppose. And then the next thing he said, well, yeah, you can have a job. And he gave me a job because of my accent. You know what I mean? So that, that, that helped me. So I came and I was doing butchering for quite a while. Of course, I'd met Sean. We talked about it. I met Sean Roach. Sean was at Boyne High School. as was the varsity boys coach. And uh, he said, come out and watch the game or two. So I went out. And of course, Sean in his younger days was a raving lunatic on the sidelines. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that led me to meet people like Clyde Best, Laurie Abrahams, Norm Jackson. And Jacko was definitely my idol. Uh, someone like a father figure to all of us. And Ivy Jackson. So, you know, they got me involved in soccer. And then... I remember one day asking a player to do something, and, the, and, and uh, Sean said to me, what are you asking him? You, you, know, you, you should probably go to a coaching school. So I've always been a great believer, and if you're going to give information, give the right information, because wrong information is not the way to go. So I always remember my first, my first experience, Peter Moore, who, as you know, Peter uh, ended up as the CEO of Liverpool Football Club, no, by no accident, a uh, Reebok guy, and uh, Peter was an instructor for Cal South. So I took my D license with Peter and Peter said to me, we're going to do a wall pass. So I went to the wall and started kicking the ball off the wall. And Peter said, what the hell are you doing? I said, I'm doing a wall pass. He said, no, 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 no. I mean, a give and go, a one, two. I'm like, oh, okay. So I realized then, Nick, that, you know, education and football has to be in tune so we can all give the same message. And then, of course, the next day we're going to work on fainting. So I'm like, this is going to be interesting, right? You know, we're going to be getting the ambulance out. So, you know. I was really in the early days, I wanted, to, I wanted to make sure that I give the kids I work with the best opportunity to succeed. So I kind of got locked into the federations mode. And of course, that's changed dramatically, but it was the best thing I ever did. There was no paid coaches. You know, I worked as an ODP coach and the head coach for assistant coach for about 15 years and give up 30 days of my life every year for a bagel on a plane or whatever it was. But because you said at the beginning of the show, we're both fanatics and I, I loved it. You know, Kobe Jones, Eric Winalda, Lennon Donovan, you know, Ricky Cobb, so many, so many good young players. I didn't work on the girls side that much in the early days 
I worked mainly on the boys' side of ODP. And that experience was interesting. I went to a tryout and uh, I complained about the assessments, who was doing the assessment. There was a few parents, dads doing it. And I went to a guy called Gary Thompson and complained. And he said, don't complain, get involved. So, you know, that was the next step. So Norm Jackson, fantastic guy, gave us a chance. Jacko was great. Uh, so that, that worked out kind of nice. So that's kind of how I got into it. Then, of course, uh, I was doing my butchering thing, enjoying that, coaching my son. Uh, they, they allowed me to be part of family because they were health food, very health-orientated people. And they understood my passion, which was great. The only condition is I had to play on the darts team with them. And that was okay. So we, we lived with that one, Nick. So, yeah, so I was able to go and do my Saturday things, uh, go to the games, do practices. Uh, but getting involved in soccer is a story in itself. I, was, I didn't really intend to. My son signed up to play local, you know, recreational league. And I got there uh, and he was playing basketball. Uh, so then, you know, I went to my wife, who's from Liverpool also, and I said to her, what, what have you done? You've signed him up for the wrong sport. So she said, no, 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 it said AYSO soccer. So I went back four more times and they were still playing basketball, mate. So on the fifth time I went and the coach's name was Harold, lovely man. I said, Harold, is this soccer? He said, you speak English. I said, yes, very good. Me too, English. <laughs> you know, and he said, okay, then you're the assistant coach. So, like, I would say 90% of parents in this country that get involved in the game, maybe not the younger generation, but like your generation, my generation, we did it for our kids. You know, and then, of course, I'd, 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 I'd had my prelim badge from England, so I'd tasted coaching because of a knee injury, stopped me playing. So it was, uh, it was a natural transition from there to Cal Lutheran University to, I did one year in high school uh, after, that was a bit of a hiccup, a guy called Adam Eyre, who played in Major League Soccer. Uh, Adam was a good friend of mine, and he convinced me to coach at Agora High School for a year. That was an experience. I, uh, I I took the year, and I thought that's why. I'm, now I know I don't coach high school soccer, but uh, you know, probably my most important break was with Dan Koontz at Cal Lutheran University. Danny Danny was uh, open to bringing me in. He didn't tell me I was a women's assistant coach. I thought I was the men's assistant till I got there, but that was okay because the the ladies were fantastic. Uh, I've enjoyed that. You know, I enjoy that. I enjoy coaching. Football, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's a yeah. women's team, a man's team, you know, uh, whatever. I, I, I love doing it. Right. I mean, our similarities uh, in, in our coaching careers is, is really quite striking. I mean, uh, Norm Jackson was my first instructor when I took my D license and then working my way through the, the progression from C to B and A. And I remember, um, oh, God, I, I did my A in Santa Clara. Uh, in like 94 and then, you know, did all the continuing education. So it, it was great. And, and I mean, Norm Jackson was just a, a complete legend in, in our, in our time frame. And it's a shame that, you know, he's, he's not around anymore because he, he was coach of the Aztecs as well. I mean, can you, can you imagine coaching the LA Aztecs, the George Best and Johan Cruyff? I mean, it's yeah, incredible. Yeah. I got to spend a week with Norm Jackson at the regional camp because a coach cried off and Jacko was the top man. This is the under 13 boys or whatever. And Jacko says, hopefully I'll come with you. And I get to spend a week with someone that made an impression on my life forever. I mean, the stories, the stories about Gil Stratton, you know, about Chick Hearn. Now, these are Laker people, right? He, yeah. he was commentating in that league with them. You know, it was incredible. The stories about George Best, Rennie Michaels, Johan Cruyff. Johan Cruyff took his paycheck off him a couple of times <laughs> because he stood behind the goal and said, I can spin the ball and hit the crossbar. 
And Jack goes, like, no one can do that. Lost his paycheck. Had to go and tell Ivy. Yeah, tremendous person. But I think what I got from him was you want to be enthusiastic about the game. You know, it really is. Personality in coaching is important because people have got to buy in and follow you as a leader. And to do that, you've got to, you've got to believe, you've got to have, a, I'd say, a, a philosophy that is of inclusion. You know what I mean? And I think that the players, that's where the game's played. You know, so, you know, we, we've both been pretty successful. Uh, you know, the college game, you know, I, I love listening to the players talk at halftime to see whether they can solve the problems before I start talking. And the same with the Olympic Development Programme. Any team that we coach, you know, and then finding players is, there's nothing better than finding someone that's come, become successful. Probably the most successful player we've got right now is Christian Ramirez, who has played for Houston, Minnesota, LA, LA Football Club. And now, of course, he's playing in the beautiful country of Scotland for Aberdeen. Uh, you know, um, and there's a great kid, you know, that stays in touch. And, and a lot of these kids do. So I think as coaches, you know, we're, we're more than just a mentor. We're, we become a lifelong supporter and fan of the kids, don't we? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you, you bring up a great point about the, that, that leadership component and the, and the messages. Who in the, in the modern game that some of our listeners would know influences you today? Well, you got to listen to Pep, obviously, but you, you you can't you can't be Pep, right? You can't. We've not got Pep's players, right? So you listen to what he says, and of course, Jurgen Klopp, obviously, is one of my favorite guys, you know. But even Jose Jose Mourinho, you know, they've all got certain qualities, and I think that you look at them. And on the women's side, you know, Jill Ellis w- was a massive influence for me, you know, when she first got involved with the women's national team program. Her and April Hendricks, they were they were tremendous. They included me in a lot of stuff, and I got to learn a lot from a lot of those national staff coaches, which was which was excellent. But I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, great coaches need great players <laughs> to, be, to be successful because it is all about players. There's nothing better than a challenge of a team that's struggling to make you humble and see if you can really coach. Because it's easy it's easy to coach the better kids, right? We both know that. But when you've got a challenge, that's when you dig into your your bag of tricks and you try and come out with something. Well, let me ask you this: What if we were to narrow it down? What do you think the the three most important qualities a coach of men or women should possess to allow them to grow in this sport? Well, definitely listening. Right, number one, listen to the players. Right, number one for sure. And then don't be afraid to get feedback in any form from players, so you can take that feedback. And then you know. I learned also make a decision and live with it, right? You know, when you're at the college level, you know, I've been at the college for 26 years and uh, I learned one year, my assistant coach said, you should do this. And we did it and we lost a game. I didn't ever shut them out of that, but I realized that day that, you know, I'm the one that's responsible for that. So be responsible for the decision and, you know, support the decisions you make, right or wrong. You know, so your decisions are important. And then, you know, obviously the goal for me is always going to be to keep kids playing and get you have a kid love the game. I want them to come to Ventura College for two years and say, Coach, I want to play the rest of my life, whether they play in a Division One, Division Two, whatever. So I really believe that. You know, they're the three things for me longevity for the kids, try and find a way to keep, even if they're not starting and playing loads of minutes, you know, try and find that piece. The challenge as a coach is that, as you know, when you've got 22 players, only 11 play. So the art of managing those players is really important. 
So yeah, I, lo- I love that thought about keeping kids in the game. And I think you know, I I, I was at a high school for for quite some time because I had managed to you know double dip between Fox and and the high school. And you know, I think one of my proudest things beyond winning you know state titles and league titles was the alumni game, Steve. Because when I first arrived at the school, there there was nothing. I mean, in fact, there was only 12 players in the entire school that actually played the sport. You know, no one knew anything. And by the, by the time I'd left, the alumni game was the most popular thing for ex-students uh, of the school to come to. We'd had 50, 60 kids. I mean, we ended up having, like, massive five-a-side tournaments, which was unbelievable. <laughs> and then having kids come to school wearing, you know, football, soccer, t shirts, you know, you know, the Henri on the back and Van Nisseroy and, uh, you know, Beckham and, and, and now I'm, you know, obviously friends with kids. They're no longer kids. They're adults. They've got their own children. And guess what? They're teaching their kids the sport of soccer, you know, and, and, and I feel like that's been, I mean, it sounds silly to say, but I feel like that's my greatest achievement is bringing more and more people into the sport. Yeah, we played we played a game on Friday last night, Friday night uh, at at home, and we had a club night. It's a local club, Camarillo Eagles, and with three of the ki- three of the mums had girls play in that game in those little fun games. So to see that they they like you say, Nick, we we are developing the fanatics of the future, the people that will love the game. So we we should always realize that we we do play an important role. Sometimes maybe. You have the bad days and that, but uh, at the end of the day, when you see kids coming back into the game, not leaving the game, yes, you know, some, obviously some female players, they'll take some time off, have a family, but then you find out they're playing in the Monday night, Monday night indoor league, right? Yeah. Where The Warrior League. So it, it, I love it when I see that. I love it. So let's talk about how to become a coach. Obviously, you know, both you and I are heavily involved in Cal South Youth for certainly longer than me. And, you know, I see more and more... Uh, young people who say to themselves, you know what, you know, I've, I've got an injury, I can no longer play, but I still want to be involved in the sport of soccer. And, and obviously, AYSO is a great way to do that because it's it's really on a volunteer basis. But some other people are looking at coaching as a career. And here at Cal South, we're working so hard to develop coaching education. So can you, can you give us a, a taste of what the coaching education pathway looks like? Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, obviously, I'm a great believer in the education. It's changed tremendously. I mean, the vision, the vision that when you and I came here was 20 kids in a line and one ball and one ball. Yeah. And unfortunately, we still see that today, right? We still see that today. So the goal, the goal for our grassroots courses through U.S. soccer has changed. We used to have a nine-hour course, an 18-hour course, a 54-hour course. And what we wanted to do was break that barrier for the beginner down. So now we have modules, which is a four versus four game module, nine versus nine, seven versus seven, and 11 versus 11. Obviously, they're changed formats because, as you know, we used to see six-year-olds playing 11 v 11, and they touch the ball once every you know 60 minutes, right? So get on, know, a, on a full-size pitch with full-size goals. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we, we all knew a long time ago that we had to change. So U.S. soccer... And the guys that I work with, we, we, we created this new curriculum, which is based on a method called play, practice, play. The French call it whole, part whole. So people may have heard that. Uh, and it's where the kids learn by doing. You know, I mean, experiential learning is critical. You know, when you're in a classroom, the teacher gives you a roadmap. But experientially, you go away and work on it. And soccer's the same. So, 
with these new courses now for, for instance, if you want to coach recreational soccer in Cal South, we don't want to penalize you, charge you loads of money because you do have to get your fingerprints. You do have to do all these other steps. So we want to make coaching easy. So the Federation U.S. Soccer has four online courses. Uh, they're two-hour courses. It's the basic course for our recreational coaches. It's not ideal. We'd like, we'd like to do it in person, but we can't because obviously geographically the numbers. But we get do get the numbers in. So and then if you want to get into the more of the competitive range, what we've decided, what we decided to do a number of years ago was to give you the the basic uh, pathway to the D license. So that means you have to take two courses, a nine v nine and eleven v and an eleven v eleven course. So that's the primary way to get involved in coaching. Uh, the methodology is play, practice, play, which means the kids play and learn by playing. Coaches interact, but we try to not tell tell kids how to play. We try and let them learn and give them feedback and ask questions. It's a great way of doing it. And then from there, you go to a D license, which is expanded. And the D license, it's, the D license is basically U.S. Soccer's total development license. So it has all four modules, 4v4, 7v7, 9v9, 11v11. It's about 54 hours in length. It's a huge commitment. But believe it or not, we do more and more every year because the enthusiasm and those kids that want to be involved. And then the C license, it changes a little bit and goes to OLI. Uh, you know, so the, the words change, but the, the, the methodology is similar in the sense that kids learn by, kids learn by, uh, by uh, doing rather than us telling them. So... Sorry, Steve. No, it was my technical my difficulties there. Um, so uh, I get I get quite a few coaches come up to me and and they ask about the United Soccer coaches and the diplomas and and coaching pathway there. Um, obviously, it, it feels like we've got two competing organisations, but are, are are we along the same pathway? I think education is 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 critical. Continued education. Uh, you know, I know that Ian Barker and the guys at uh, United Soccer Coaches do a great job. It's just an alternative pathway, and I think in some ways it's it's an addition to what you do. You know, I mean, you can go through your A, your B, and your C, uh, but then the second phase of that is would you go there? Would you go to get more education? So I think that 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 is it. That is a great a great opportunity for coaches to grow. A lot of college coaches go through that program. They don't necessarily have to have an A license. But the A license in the Federation has changed now. We've got a pro A license, which we never had, right? You've got a pro license and you've got a youth uh, A license. So now there's like a market where you can go for each one. Uh, we, we don't really want a pro player sat in a course with a, a person that's a volunteer coach. Not that there's any disrespect that way, but the level of knowledge is so vast. We, we, we've got to kind of make that work. So I think U.S. soccer have done a wonderful job of doing that. Uh, I think we'll see more changes in the future from U.S. soccer, but education. Uh, we just hope, you know, you know, and I know, Nikki, people will go to a coaching school, they'll take and they'll think everything's the Bible. And what we say is take what you think is appropriate for you. And just, you know, let's have no talking. Let's have no laps. Let's have no lines. Let's try and get the kids playing as much as we can because they do learn by playing. Oh, absolutely. Well, for more information on Cal South's outstanding coaching education please visit calsouth.com you'll find a coaching link there click around and hopefully steve and i will see you on a coaching course in the very near future steve let's talk about players right now 
And both you and I have had the privilege of working in the Olympic Development Program. You as the uh, head supremo and Cal South has been so successful over the last 20 years. Talk to us about the pathway to become an ODP player and, and what does it mean and, and what kind of benefits does it have? Well, I, th I think when we first started years ago, you know, obviously it was the main pathway to the United States national team, youth national team program. And that's changed tremendously because there's multiple, and there should be, there should be multiple pathways to get there, right? So we have other avenues you can follow. For Cal South, uh, over the years, the clubs have provided, I mean, let's face it, you know and I know, Nikki, 99.9% .9 of developments done at the club level. And our club coaches have gotten better and our kids have gotten better. Now, the worrying thing, uh, just going off on a tangent, the worrying thing is at the top end for the federation, are we performing? You know, at the 17s, the 20s, you know, we're struggling. We're struggling. We're not making the Olympic Games. We're not doing the things we were doing. So I think that we have to start looking at, is it too much about structure? You know, if you go back to the Landon Donovan days, you know, we didn't have a residential program, but we did really well. Roy Reese got our national team to semifinals of the World Cup 20s numerous years ago. And that was bringing them in for a week and going, right? So have we become too, too efficient? You know, someone said Argentina's development program is the best because of the lack of organization. Hmm. The, the kids get to do it. So, you know, so, but going back to the Cal South pathway, you know, we, we try and scout kids in games, uh, which is their natural environment, obviously. But there's obviously other ways just like to make a national team now. We can, we, we have training centers. Uh, we can go out, still scout league games, cup games. And uh, the great thing about the Olympic development program, it's open to all. That's part of being the Olympic Development Program. Uh, if we see a young man in high school or a young lady in high school doesn't play club soccer, we can invite them into the program because that's what the program's about. Our, our, uh, so let's say our building blocks to go out of that program have changed dramatically over the years. You know, one of them is the advancement piece. Years ago, the advancement was only for U.S. national teams. Now it's for any national team. I got a call from Mexico last week on a young lady that plays in Cal South, played in our ODP team for four years, never had a chance at the national team, and they're going to bring her into their under-17 national team. You know, so the advancement piece is we're we want you to go to the level you want to go to, if it's with Mexico, Guam, you know, England, Spain, whatever it is. So also MLS, right, We on the boys' side and the girls now as well, NWSL. So so we, we want the kids to achieve their goals, but we do ground them and tell them, Number one goal should be college because your education is the most important thing you can ever have. No one can take that away from you. But we understand that kids have dreams and they want to fulfill those dreams. So, you know, advancement is really important. Inclusion was one of the words we used in the Pro Plus mantra. And that's because obviously there's a lot of fractured groups within soccer, as we both know. But that shouldn't stop a kid from getting where they want to get. You know, that, that should, you know, be, be the, the key. And then obviously in Cal South, I've got to tell you that the financial situation, the support that we've had over the last 20 odd years has been astronomical. Kids in Cal South are paying $200 to be an ODP. Kids from Cal North are paying $2,000. So, you know, if you want the best kids to come out, the kind of, it shouldn't be the best ones that can afford it. It should be the best kids. So I think that's something that, you know, the Cal South board of directors can be proud of. Steve Sampson can be proud of it because Steve introduced it. And we've just pushed it forward. So hopefully when we bring kids into the ODP program, they can afford to do it. Uh, we do name pools. So we just had a training center that was hosted by 
uh, Coast Soccer League. Bernie Towers and friends did a great job for us. We had over 300 players come out over three days, and we were able to select some players to add to our winter pool. So they came out, they did two training sessions, our staff looked at them, and we highlighted kids we thought could, could, could go to that next step. And then in December, we'll bring in our pools of kids from all, all other leagues, wherever they play, it doesn't matter, we'll bring them in, and then we'll add those kids to them and let them, let them grow. So it's an open program. Hopefully, everybody gets a fair chance. We try to lock into what we have now because we can't look at what we had last year or the year before, as you know, with the group that you had. Uh, the next year, a lot of those kids left and moved on to the old DA. Well, you know, that's the way it works. So I tell coaches all the time, you can only coach what's in front of you. You can't coach what you had in the past, and you never know what you're going to have in the future. So yeah. so ODP is, is still thriving. It's still going well. The model will change over the next 12 months. We're looking at some changes to enhance the program. Uh, but we'll keep pushing forward, and I know we'll get kids where they want to go. Uh, and still, on your college resume, Cal South ODP player is high priority. It means you've been identified and you can play. So, you know, that won't change, I don't think. Yeah, it really is a fantastic pathway. And honestly, if you get the opportunity and you, and you want to coach some fantastic players, get in touch with Mr. Steve Hoffman because it really was one of the thrills of my coaching career to work with players of the level we had. And we were very lucky with those boys in 98, though. They were exceptional. And you, you, met, you mentioned the, the pathway, ODP to college. Let's, let's talk about that very quickly, Steve. College soccer. Um, obviously, you get a wonderful opportunity to have a fabulous education. Uh, you get to play soccer, but in, in, in a kind of truncated way because of the, the season is so short. Um, do you think college soccer still has a, a place in the pathway? And if it doesn't have a place in the pathway... What kind of qualities does a college player need to possess just to enjoy the four-year experience? Well, it definitely has a place in the pathway. I think, I think we all, I think you're like me. I'd love to see them play one game a week like the real world, right? And I know that uh, Sasha and the, the guys on the East Coast are pushing on the men's side to have this elongated season where the finals will be in May. And I'm 100% behind that. And that should happen for the women as well. Because as you know, being at UC Santa Barbara, you know, you, you, Liverpool are playing three games a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for quite a few months. But they're not happy about that. And they have immense support as far as sports, science, etc. Whereas the, the, the college level, they have great facilities, but they don't offer the same support for all the teams, as you know. Probably the high-profile teams are getting a little bit more, two trainers, three trainers, a fitness coach. So I'd love to see the pathway expand for the college players to where it's a an eight-month season where they can enjoy it. It's so sad because you just you just get to form the bond, the team gets going, and then it's over. You know, and it's like, what do we do now? Now we've got spring and we do the weight room. But you know, and I know that the game is the best teacher of the game. So yeah. I would love, I would love if I had a vote and had a magic wand tomorrow, I would move college soccer to an eight to nine-month season and allow these kid, these these kids to experience. Uh, being a professional, because I always remember when Rene Meramontes went to the Colorado Rapids in the early days, his first two years over there with Mooch Myronic, and he said to me, Hoffy, Hoffy, it's taken these kids a year to be realize what it takes to become a pro. Because college soccer is not professional soccer. Does it prepare them? Well, it, they get drafted. But I think then the kids have to go out and learn to be a pro. So, But it's definitely a place that college kids 
I think this society, unfortunately, is about I know everything right now. I'm the best player right now. So a lot of these kids that are freshmen, as you know, go to college <coughs> and they don't get their what they think is their starting position. But uh, it's the first time in their lives where their parents are not paying for the experience. So now <coughs> I've got to go into a college and I've got to show myself, just like being a pro, right? Yeah. If you're, if you're at Liverpool and you're behind Mo Salah, you're probably going to not play for a while. Should you quit? Well, you know, you can take a look at these great kids like, you know, Harvey Elliott, you know, the Curtis Jones. They work hard every day. They're part of the team and you hear them. And they really are part of the team. And I think that's the hardest thing for college coaches. And it's because of that shortened season. If you had a longer season, you could, you could do more planning. The games can be a little bit differently, uh, you know, but the college system is, is great. People always said to me when I first came, there's no pro soccer in America. I'm like, no, 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 no. College soccer, they're getting paid, whether you like it or not. I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you what time to be there. I'll tell you where to go. So that's, that's really important. Uh, so I, I think that would be great for me. Every kid should aspire. You know, we've got 115 community colleges in California, right? 87 play soccer. We've got all the UC schools, all the Cal South, all the Cal State schools. So there is a soccer place for anybody in this country that wants to play soccer. You know, whether it's a community college, whether it's a military academy, whether it's a four-year school. So, you know, our job, I think, as youth coaches, being involved with the game is to inspire those kids to go to that next level. Remembering that, 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 that's the puppy. Remembering education is the key to everything. Well, the, the puppy's agreeing with everything you say, um, obviously, with that barking. Um, I saw I was listening to you and you're, you're dropping in some little Liverpool names here and there. Uh, let's 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 segue into Liverpool, Steve, because I know it's very, very dear and close to your heart. Why do you love Liverpool FC? Because obviously, for, for and, and disclaimer, uh, growing up in England in the 70s and 80s, I couldn't stand Liverpool. Why? Because they won everything. <laughs> so talk to us about your love affair with Liverpool, Steve. Well, you know, as a kid growing up, uh, one of my brothers was a Manchester United fan. One was an Everton fan. So we had to have a Liverpool fan. You know, and I always say to people, you know, both my brothers were dropped on their heads when they were babies. And obviously they woke up supporting United and Everton. So I was kind of like in the young, younger days, a little bit of Liverpool, United. But then I, I became a true Liverpool fan. And I came through the Kevin Keegan era to the Kenny Dalglish era. So obviously I used to get very frustrated with people who say English football, you just kick and run. When you watch Liverpool play, they play the way they played now in those 70s, you know? So, you know, I grew up on it and then I came to America and I met this, this wonderful man called Norm Jackson. And on a Saturday morning, I sit next to him with his shortwave radio and we listened to Liverpool games. And Jacko, Jacko had some fantastic stories, which really in, it would show you a little bit about England and about the rivalry. His brother's an Evertonian. Norm flew home and his brother picked him up in a blue car with Everton stickers on it. And Norm refused to get in the car because he was an Everton fan. <laughs> and, then, then, and then another story that Norm told us was when he was there, he had to go over to the Mersey Tunnel, which is underground, under the ocean, into the Wirral. And uh, the only way he could get there is by using the brother's car. So he drove through the toll booth and the guy in the toll booth said, hey, you're an Everton supporter. I don't take them in my booth. And he's like, no, 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 I'm a Liverpool supporter. He's like, but yes, you're in a... So, you know, that's the kind of rivalry there is. It's, it's a great rivalry. You know, on, on, on Derby Week, as you know, we don't speak too much. 
But then we went through the, the the horrible years, and even in the horrible years, you know, I was still a Liverpool fan. We had, in my opinion, one of the best players to ever play for Liverpool, Stevie Gerrard. Loved watching Stephen play, you know, and and we supported, of course, these European Championship nights. You know, I remember the the Milan final when my son went to bed, uh, you know, and didn't see the second half, right, because he was so pissed off. But uh, you know, and then of course. One of the greatest things that happened was obviously the Fenway group buying at Liverpool and then bringing Jorgen in. The rest is history, right? I did get to go to the Champions League final in uh, in Madrid uh, against Spurs. It wasn't a work of art, but the experience was incredible. You know, I've been to Rome to watch Liverpool play in Rome. I've been to Tbilisi when I was in England. I uh, I never, we had season tickets. My sister has season tickets. So our family is big, you know, all my sisters. I've got three sisters. They're all Liverpool fans. So, you know, Mo Salah, we got a new dog coming on Monday and I'm trying to convince the wife to call it Mo. So, you know, uh, hopefully that will Well, work. here's one for you, Steve. In 1978, um, my stepfather, a big football fan, and he, he always used to get random tickets. I was at Wembley Stadium. That was, that <laughs> was that the Charity Shield final? No. European Cup, oh, Liverpool went... versus Bruges. Yes. And Dalglish scored the only goal of the game. Obviously, there's the Wembley Wembley held something like eighty five thousand for the night games. On that particular night, I think there was hundred and twenty thousand there. <laughs> and honestly, the 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 chant after Dalglish scored, it was Dalglish, and it would just wash around the stadium. Really, really magical, magical evening. Great, great atmosphere. And obviously, that was that was a wonderful. Uh, Liverpool team. So, what's what's the best Liverpool game you've ever seen? Well, I'm, you know, how can you pick one? You know, Saint Etienne when when uh, they had they were at the top with Tigana and all those guys played at Anfield and the stands were rocking. We won one nil in the in the Champions League. That's you know at Liverpool. Uh, I just love watching them. You know, and you know what? People don't realize this, but all the songs that are sang at games. If you go back to the seventies, there was no songs at any games. Liverpool started the songs off. And of course, Jamie Oliver has taken it to the next level, right? You know, with Mo Salah, Mo Salah running down the wing, right? Yeah. And Bobby Firmino's songs. So, and now all the other groups. So, you know, the culture of football in England. And I don't think it's as hostile as it used to be, right, Nick? Because when we were growing up, it was, yeah, a, it was quite a, frightening. It, 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 yeah, yeah. It yeah. Could, you know, obviously the Heisel Stadium disaster. Uh, I declined my tickets for the Lept- Leppins Lane then. I was in England when the... That happened, and I had tickets no. to go in that end of the ground with oh my, my son. But we'd been to the Chelsea game, and my son couldn't see. He was short. Uh, so we didn't go. Uh, but uh, that horrific day will live in my memory forever, and the picture of Anfield covered in flowers. So I think that the family, Liverpool family, with the 96 and 97 now, obviously. But, you know, that, that lives forever. And I think that's the thing that attracts you to Liverpool, is the family. You know, it, it's a family club. I mean, from the canteen lady. You know, Jürgen Klopp will talk about them, you know. And the stuff they do in the community now is, is brilliant, you know. Yeah. Jürgen goes out and meets kids. They ask questions. And, of course, we got LeBron James, man. Come on. we got That's the best right, basketball yeah. player in history, man. Come <laughs> on. Um, Favourite player and why? Well, I do love Mo Salah. But i got to tell you that Kenny Daglish was special. You know, when you listen to stuff that Kenny says, you know, how do you know there's a defender on your, on your back at night? Well, you look at the floodlights and the shadow on the floor. Who thinks of that, right? Daglish thinks of that. He was a different level. He was terrific. Every game, he was so consistent. And Mo Salah's that way as well. But, you know, Kenny, Kenny's definitely my favorite. Mo's up there. 
Johnny Aldridge is up there, Rushy, too many. Michael Owen, right? I mean, keep going, can't I? You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love who's, them all. I love them all. Who's who's? Well, let, let's quickly focus on the uh, on the US side of things and and men's and women's national team. A couple of players you coach from from both uh, sexes that you'd like to uh, give a shout out to, and just some memories you have about them. Oh, yeah. Well, I think I think the, the 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 best group that we had was the group with Amy Rodriguez and. Kiki Bosio. I mean, this this group, they played for Abner Rogers uh, in the old days. And, you know, Abner was very, very good at being honest with us. You know, if the gate, if what we were doing weren't important, if he's going for a national championship, he wouldn't release his kids. That's okay. But we did get to go to the, the regional nationals with them and Amy and those guys. They, they were great, you know, great, great, great players. We had obviously Alex played for us. I didn't coach Alex. Alex didn't make our first team. She always was on the second team. But obviously, Sammy Nager knew what he was doing because. She's turned out pretty good. Kristen Press was fun to coach. You know, I didn't. I only had her for the championships, but Kristen was a different level. Uh, we, you know, did really, really well for us. Whitney Ingen, obviously, he's playing professionally. Whitney, another one. You know, Ashley Nick, who's played more games in Europe than probably any other player, uh, played at USC. Uh, and some of the younger ones now, we've got at UCLA, you've got the, the, um, the what's her name? Oh, Rico's the dad. Uh, the good good kids. They're two two players that played out in the in the in the South Bay area. So they've been some great kids, you know, some good kids. You know, uh, Landon was on the group we were with. Ricky, uh, the goalkeeper that played forever, Nick Romano. Nicky was with us. Great guy. Costa was the coach of that team. So many good memories with people, and you see them go on. You know, a captain of our national team right now is uh, the young man from San Diego. Uh, he was only with us one and a half years, but left a massive impression. And what he's done is terrific. Great job. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of good players. But, you know, they've all sought their pathway. They all have different elements. And some of them, Nicky, you know and I know, you couldn't pinpoint that they, they do what they've done. Chris, Christian, Christian Ramirez, we talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, the academy had started. He was playing for strikers. And he, didn't, he, he loved doing the ODP program, so he stuck with us. Didn't do him any harm. Went to Santa Barbara. Didn't quite work, which you know and I know happens, you know. And then he left and went to Concordia University, All-American, leading goal scorer in the country, set records. Went to Minnesota and did a great job there. Him and Ibarra, they were the tag team, the dynamic duo. When they went to the majors, so he got in Major League Soccer, he moved on. But he came to LAFC and even there, he scored in his debut, did stuff there. And then went to Houston. And then how you end up in Aberdeen, Scotland, God only knows. But I'll tell you, he scored on his debut there. He scored a header last week that's world-class. So, you know, it's great. They're great memories. And it's nice to know that you didn't really influence them too much, but you gave them an opportunity. Yeah. Well, before I let you go, Steve, your, your last message to potential coaches who are listening and want to come to the Cattle South pathway. Yeah, I mean, look... It, it, Get educated. Education is the key to success, right? Where's the most important space on a soccer field? People say it's between your ears. For a coach, where's the most important space on a soccer field? Between your ears. So you've got to think the game, live the game, and know the game. And the more education you can get, the better prepared you can make your players. Whatever level, whatever level, whether it's a recreational player, a grassroots player, you need that education to help them grow. Teachers get educated for a reason. Coaches are teachers. That's the truth. 
Steve Hoffman, Technical Director of Cal South, Head Coach of the Ventura Women's Community Soccer Team. Thank you so much for joining the Bear and the Ball. For more information on the Coaching Education Program and ODP, please visit CalSouth.com. Find the tabs, click away. You can also find us on Twitter at CalSouthSoccer, Instagram at CalSouthSoccer. We are on Facebook. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at Nick Webster. I am the Vice President of Adults. Thank you so much for joining the Bear and the Ball. We will catch you next time.